Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Basketball Conference Podcast, version 1.0. We are doing this for the first time. My name is Joey Weaver. I am uh, from the rumbleseat.com, covering Georgia Tech on the SB Nation Network. Joining me tonight is one Mike McDaniel of insidetheacc.com, covering the whole conference. Mike, how's everything going, man? Everything's good, Joey. This has been a long time coming. Uh, been in the works for a while. We've been throwing the idea back and forth. It's good to finally be recording our first podcast. So uh, happy to join you here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting this thing started. Uh, all the extensive amount of planning and preparation we've put into this thing. Um, it's good to give the people an outlet to listen to some ACC content. Now, we, we call ourselves Basketball Conference, so we should probably talk about that a little bit. Uh, make no mistake about it, we are basketball conference, but a football podcast. Uh, obviously, the ACC gets a little bit of a rep of being a quote-unquote basketball conference, but uh, at the end of the day, we're here to talk about football. Yeah, we're here to rip on that little basketball conference mantra uh, that all the ACC folks kind of put out there. We'd like to rip on it a little bit, play some football in this conference, too. Oh, absolutely. Added some, uh, some chaos into things, as it were. Um, so what we're looking to do here is probably do this once a week as uh, we kind of work towards the season, do some previews, different teams, uh, things to look out for during the season, hopefully get some guests on here from time to time that might know a little bit more about their prospective teams than we do. Uh, but then each week during the season, we'll be able to recap the weekend's games from all the ACC teams, preview the coming weekend's games for all those teams, and uh give you something to, to munch on in the week between uh, between our college football Saturdays. Um, obviously, we, we kind of bring some different perspectives here. Uh, and so what we wanted to do with this first episode really was uh, kind of help you guys get to know Mike and I a little bit, uh, know who you'll be listening to, and felt like the fun way to, to do that would be to kind of interview each other and, uh, and have a good time with it. So um, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Hopefully this is... Uh, Hopefully it's a success. We'll, you know, time will tell. Um, so, Mike, I'll start asking you, uh, could you please state your gender and age? But I want you to do it using your best Mike Gundy impression, i.e. man 40. Oh, man. This is a throwback to Mike Gundy rant at the end of the Oklahoma State game. What was it? It has to be over 10 years old now? Oh, at least. God. God. I'm a man, Joey. I'm 24. Attaboy. That's me. That's me. Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy McDaniel, so there you go. I think we just came up with our nickname for you. There we go. Every week I'll just get angry and throw out rants like Mike Gundy. That's how we'll do it. Three minutes into the first show, and uh, there we go. Well, Mike, I am a man, and I am 24. Uh, so just a couple of uh, maybe post-teenagers here doing a podcast for you. Yeah, pretending to throw around facts like we know a lot about the ACC, so we'll just have to see where this takes us. All right, Joey. Question number two. Please state your alma mater in the best way you know how, but without actually using the name of the school. Ooh. 
That's a good one. Make me think here. All right, so I come from the land of nerds, but also the hometown of like TI and <laughs> Two Chains and other local folks, such as Ludacris. So a little, a little downtown Atlanta, maybe. A little downtown Atlanta. That's right. I, I am a, uh, a Georgia Tech graduate. Uh, graduated December 2013 with an industrial engineering degree. Uh, now live in Houston, Texas. So, but of course, still, uh, my heart is still in ACC country, uh, as you will see across social media uh, very, very frequently. So, Mike, I'm going to turn this one on you. I want you to please give me your alma mater the best way that you can without actually using the name of the school. That's easy, Joey. We're named after a fake bird. We're in the middle of the mountains, uh, middle of nowhere, really. Um, our best year came about 15 years ago, and we've been pretty mediocre football ever since. Uh, we like to pride ourselves on a bowl streak that we continuously go to year after year, even if it's not a bowl game of any merit. I am a Virginia Tech Hokie, Joey. Um, I graduated last year, 2015, a uh, bachelor's degree in business, uh, concentrations in accounting and finance. Uh, I now work in financial consulting in the Washington, D.C. area. So that's the day job, and I do uh, blogging for Inside the ACC write some NBA stuff on the side too and now I'm also recording a podcast with you so I like to like to keep it real to the ACC conference. So what you're telling me is that if we ever have like a business segment, like if, if we ever need our own like Darren Rebell, you're, you're the guy, like this is your, your wheelhouse. Yeah and it's funny you should say that because I'm constantly finding myself making fun of Darren Ravel on Twitter so if you ever want to just bag on Darren Ravel, I'm probably your guy. So yeah, if we need a Darren Ravel segment, I can do my best impersonation uh, while still making fun of him, so we'll definitely have to do that. And just so we're clear, you're the uh, surrogate to get bagged on? or <laughs> I was going to say, I'd be, I'd be the surrogate to get bagged on, I think. I think it's the only way to do it. Duly noted. Duly noted. Well, well, we'll try not to spend too much time doing that. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit of college football history. So what is the best college football moment that you've ever been in attendance for at a football game? So, kind of crazy. Um, I actually grew up a huge Notre Dame fan. Uh, family has always been just huge Irish fans. They are to this day. Uh, I applied to Notre Dame. Of course, didn't get in because their academic standards are crazy. Um, ended up going to Virginia Tech, but when I was younger, uh, Notre Dame was playing Purdue, and that was Drew Brees' senior year, so we're going way back. Because Breeze is now in his mid-30s, so I was real young. Um, his, he's in his mid-30s. Yeah, he's a man. Um, yeah, so Breeze is obviously a very good NFL quarterback now. was fantastic quarterback at Purdue. Um, I went and saw Notre Dame play Purdue. Purdue was probably preseason, uh, preseason top 10 that year. Uh, Breeze obviously leading to charge in the Heisman race. And Notre Dame played them uh, in early October of that year. And Notre Dame was in the game the entire time. Um, it was actually much as, you know, to the surprise of many, uh, Notre Dame was, that was back when they were pretty mediocre at football, um, not the top 25 team year in and year out that we see now, um, way back when Bob Davey was the coach. So we're, we are throwing it way back. And actually, Notre Dame marched down the field with about two minutes left. Drew Brees threw an interception late in the fourth quarter. 
Notre Dame marched down the field and actually kicked a game-winning field goal as time expired. And I still remember that to this day, and I was probably nothing but like six or seven years old. Uh, so that was probably the best moment I've been a part of or been in attendance for. Um, there have been a number of games at Virginia Tech, obviously, uh, big games I've been to. Um, but that one is right up there, probably second second best or maybe even the first best moment for me. I mean, growing up, that's the moment I always like go back to now when I look back on it. But the more recent one was Virginia Tech, my alma mater, uh, my junior year of college. I went to the game in Columbus against Ohio State when we upset the Buckeyes uh, early in that season. Uh, of course, Ohio State went on to win the national championship. So that's my more recent best college football memory. But the one I always look back on now is, of course, I'm older. Uh, it's my first real college football memory when uh, Notre Dame upset Purdue. I'm surprised that you, you're giving me a game from growing up in a Virginia Tech game, but yet neither of them was at Lane Stadium. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Um, I, I do have, I mean, there are some crazy games at Lane Stadium, too, but of course, Tech is just so up and down, and they've been kind of inferior the last few years. So I'd like to give you the, the one great moment they've had uh, in my four years at the school when they upset Ohio State in Columbus. Yeah, what a crazy game that was. That's, that's the, uh, the level of chaos that can only be brought to you by an ACC football team. Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't expect some of these ACC teams to really be in contention against, like, these big-time teams, especially a team like Ohio State that was obviously down. Braxton Miller uh, went out preseason with shoulder injury that year a couple years back, and JT Barrett, before he was as good as we know he is now, was, uh, was a freshman, and he comes in and plays his first game. At, at the horseshoe and he didn't play very well through a couple picks and kind of got a little bit rattled and uh, that Bud Foster defense ended up upsetting the Buckeyes with a late interception so um, pretty crazy you never really expect it in the ACC conference but there's always something nutty that happens against some of the top teams in the country and the eventual national champions went down to a I think kind of stumbling into bowl eligibility yeah so you find a way to upset one of the top teams in the country and then you barely make it into the military bowl and I, you win the military bowl somehow against Cincinnati and Gunnar Keel, who is one of the most highly touted quarterbacks ever that hasn't really done anything in his collegiate career. Um, yeah, but they stumble into the military bowl in my local, local Annapolis, Maryland, uh, near, nearby, uh, from me now. And I uh, went to that game, and of course, it was like a big buzzkill because Tech wasn't playing for anything real substantial. They're playing in the military bowl after one of their biggest wins in the last probably 10 or 15 years. This whole story has really been ACC as hell. Um, this is wonderful. Um, best moment I've been a part of, so this just goes back to last year, 2015. Uh, I was in attendance for what is now known as the Miracle on Techwood Drive. Uh, Florida State had a long, long ACC winning streak broken. Uh, there were a lot of folks that kind of figured it would happen last year. They had not yet played against Clemson. Uh, that was coming up, and they figured, oh, okay, Clemson's probably where it's going to happen. They they rolled in, uh, into Atlanta. Georgia Tech's lost several games in a row. They just haven't really looked all that good or confident in what they were doing. And a lot of people wanted to talk about, you know, does Georgia Tech have any chance in this game? It's the homecoming game. It's a night game. I think it was on ESPN2 at 7 o'clock or something. So it's a feature game. And the best thing that I had to tell people was there's just something about it that night games at Bobby Dodd Stadium in Atlanta 
weird things happen. Undefeated number five Clemson in 2011 comes in, gets beat. Uh, number four, sorry, undefeated Virginia Tech comes in in 2009, gets beat. Um, That's a good memory, you know. I got one of, yeah, good memory for you, not so good for me. Yeah, yeah, happy memory for me. Um, but so, like I said, I mean, just weird stuff happens in these night games that we that we've seen throughout the years. Uh, and sure enough, that's what happened. Um, somehow Georgia Tech found a way to stay in that game all the way down to the very end. Uh, they kick a game-tying game field goal, about three minutes left in the game. Florida State gets the ball back, is able to march it a little bit down the field, just kind of towards the edge of uh, Roberto Aguayo's field goal range. And I remember looking at the guy next to me as a Florida State fan. I was in the upper part of the stands, and I was like, Aguayo has range from here, doesn't he? He's like... Oh, yeah, yeah, he, he definitely has range from here, and I, I knew that. It was a 57-yard field goal or something, but I had no doubt that he had the leg to hit that. And uh, just kind of, you know, off the cuff, just sort of shouted out, hey, let's just let's pull a Michigan State here, because this is a week after Michigan State had blocked a punt on the last play of the game to beat Michigan. Little foreshadowing. Little foreshadowing, yeah. And so, uh, Evans, the, uh, the field goal's blocked. Whole place goes crazy, kind of keep watching see Lance Austin pick up the ball, start running. It's like, all right, well, this would be you know, a cool little attempt, whatever. And next thing you know, he's down the sideline. He's past the better part of the Florida State unit. And, and I'm watching this, and he's on about the, you know, the 40, 35, 30. And I was like, he's going to get tackled at like the three-yard line. Maybe. Like, I know how this ends. Like, he's not going to make it. You know. We've seen this show before. You know, go ACC moment of the week. He trips over his own feet. He steps out of bounds. So many things can go wrong. You know, he'll, he'll go down and then the rest won't call it. That's another little flashback for you. Um, but sure enough, you know, he makes it in and, and the whole place just goes nuts. I hated that I was in the upper deck because I couldn't storm the field with everybody, but got some great pictures out of it. Uh, and I, I was irritating the crap out of everybody around me as we were walking out of that place. Uh, as I was telling everybody, I felt like I had just seen basically my version of uh, Cal Stanford, the band is on the field, kind of like just a crazy, like, bizarre occurrence. Um, something I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life easily. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember watching that game on TV because I'm watching Everett Golson struggle, and the whole Florida State offense was just so all over the place last year. It was just this huge enigma. Like, they have all these playmakers. They could never get him the ball. Dalvin Cook was really it. They hand him the ball. He's always hurt. He's running with a bad hamstring, and Florida State just really couldn't get anything going offensively in that entire game. And it just had a weird feel to it, like you were saying. Like weird stuff happens in night games, um, not only in the ACC but in the entire country. Just weird stuff happens, and it just kind of had that feel the entire time. But of course, nobody could have predicted what happened there at the end of that game. Yeah, easily the uh, the most memorable moment I've, I've ever been a part of. Probably will stay that way for a long time. So on to the next question. Um, best college player, uh, this could actually be two questions, Joey. Best college player uh, you've ever seen play in person or the best ACC player you've ever seen play in person? Best ACC player ever seen in person. So we were talking about this before the podcast, and I was thinking that my, my first Georgia Tech game would have been in 2007. That's actually not the case. My first game was actually in 2004, which was the freshman year for one Calvin Johnson Jr. Uh, and the game that I went to, I looked this up, he actually had a 
pedestrian six catches for 131 yards. <laughs> yeah, it's pedestrian for Calvin Johnson even now. You know, he's retired sitting on his couch at home. It's pedestrian numbers. Yeah, he, he does that before he gets out of bed in the morning. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was at that game and as a middle schooler, I guess. I I had forgotten that I saw him uh, as a freshman at Georgia Tech. But I would say he, he has to be the best ACC player I've seen in person. Uh, best college player I've seen in person. Um, this is this is gonna hurt to say, and you'll all understand why immediately. But I, I'd have to say probably the best college player I've seen in person was probably Todd Gurley uh, out of Georgia. He he was really something. Continues to be something now playing for the Rams. Uh, he's gonna be something in the in the NFL. Uh, if I had to pick like the single best, just most talented, ridiculous college player I've ever seen. In person, it would probably be at least, I think it was at least two years of Todd Gurley. I feel like he missed one of those games with an injury or something, but uh, that, that would definitely be it for me. I was thinking, you know, when you were saying, oh, this is going to hurt, I'm thinking of Georgia players. Of course, the first player that came to mind was A.J. Green. So when you said Todd Gurley, of course, how could I forget? Um, Gurley, of course, your time at school, uh, Georgia Tech, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess for me, Best college player I've probably seen in person. I actually went to Virginia Tech, um, Alabama, Chick-fil-A kickoff game a couple of years ago. I uh, saw Amari Cooper play. Um, he had a pretty a pretty average game um, by his standards, but obviously seeing his route running in person was something else. Uh, you, you know, you watch him on TV, and you have all these interesting quarterbacks at Alabama, like guys who never really jump off the page at you, but they always seem to get the ball to some of the best receivers in the country. Nick Saban continuously recruits. And uh, seeing Amari Cooper play in person, you know, obviously being high on him anyway, uh, just for being as good as he was and just appreciating his game from afar, um, watching him play in person was something else, even though um, it, it was a pretty pedestrian game for him uh, by his standards. Uh, best ACC player I've ever seen in person um that's tough i mean there there are a lot of pretty good acc players i was able to see at my time at tech um man um from a virginia tech standpoint i saw david wilson he was one of the best running backs in the country um back when i was a freshman uh that was the last time virginia tech really had a really solid running game um was having a guy like david wilson there um, seeing him play in person week in and week out was a treat just because he did in every way possible. Um, kick returns, punt returns, um, you know, he ran all over the field. He caught passes out of the backfield. I mean, he was he was probably the best running back in the ACC um, his junior season, which was my freshman year at Tech. Um, over the years, I've seen a lot of pretty good players. I've seen Tyler Board, of course, at Pitt. He's very good. Um, I've seen James Conner play also. Uh, great story in and of itself. Um, he's been one of the top players in the ACC for quite some time. But Coming from Pitt, you also saw Aaron Donald. Yeah, I saw Aaron Donald as well. Um, and, and looking at Pittsburgh, you know, Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh have had their, have had their duels over the years. Um, always a really ugly game, a defensive battle. And um, Aaron Donald obviously leading that defense. And then seeing a guy like Boyd and um, a running back like James Conner obviously jumps off the page of you as well. Uh, it's pretty interesting because, you know, looking at the schools that Tech played, especially in the home games, my time there, um, there weren't a lot of really huge games that Virginia Tech had against ACC opponents. 
Um, you know, they, they opened up against Georgia Tech on Labor Day a few years ago, and Tech, Virginia Tech won on the, on the field goal at the end. Um, but there are no players really in the ACC in my time at Tech that I was able to see that were really top-notch when, when they were playing. I mean, I saw E.J. Manuel of Florida State. He was obviously a decent quarterback there, but he's not the best player in the ACC that I've ever seen, you know what I mean? Um, so it's tough to name a player I've actually seen play in person in the conference that's probably as good as a David Wilson or a James Conner or even a Tyler Boyd. A legacy of excellence in the ACC, some might say. <laughs> some might say otherwise, but... Well, it's that really, it's that really weak coastal division, you know? Um, you don't see the Clemsons, the Florida States... And of course, the last four or five years, those have been the two schools that have kind of dominated the conference. So not seeing them on a year-to-year basis uh, kind of tempers your view a little bit as far as uh, a top conference player you've actually seen play. So this, this made me think of something. So over the last, I don't know, one, two, three years, who's, who's an ACC player that has absolutely terrorized Virginia Tech whenever they played? I was going to say, if there was a coach that maybe terrorized Tech, it was Ruffin McNeil of East Carolina. I mean, Tech can never seem to figure him out. Um, a player that's terrorized Tech, I mean, Tyler Boyd put up some huge numbers. I keep going back to him just because Tech can never seem to, to get by Pittsburgh. Um, the one out-of-conference team, obviously, East Carolina. Um, Duke has always given Virginia Tech trouble. So David Cutcliffe, obviously, Duke's a very, a very well-coached team. Um, but there's not really one individual player in the ACC that's really given Tech a lot of trouble. Um, I, offensively, you know, Tech's gone up against some of some of the better defensive backs in the country. You know, you've seen Jalen Ramsey a couple of years ago um, before he was even as well known as he was this past year. Um, but there there are just a number of guys that Tech has struggled with, but most of them have been coaches. Um, Ruffin McNeil. You look at. Um, Pitt, whether it was uh, really just Pat Narduzzi, it was Paul Chris before that. Um, Tech has just never really figured out Pittsburgh, so that's like the one team that's really terrorized the, uh, the Hokies, and it's been a number of different guys uh, contributing to that. Um, I guess the same question goes through you. Uh, Georgia Tech, uh, which player, which coach, uh, which team did Georgia Tech really struggle with over your time there? So, if we're talking about uh, just in general, obviously, you could say Mark Rick up at Georgia has had all sorts of success, and now obviously the head coach at Miami, which was uh, maybe like the one place I didn't want to see him end up. But uh, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, I suppose. Uh, if I had to pick the one ACC player, I think they kind of gave Georgia Tech fits every time we've seen him in the last couple of years. Then Ryan Switzer at North Carolina, man, there is something about that guy that Georgia Tech's defense has had a lot of problems with him. I know two years ago he had like nine catches for 136 yards or something and just lit him up. Uh, insanely talented and, and slippery guy that uh, I, I'm not going to miss him for a second when he graduates and, and goes to the league. Uh, obviously the last couple of years then in, in tandem with him has been Mark Lewis Williams, but uh, he's, he's moved forward, so thankfully won't have to see any more of him this year. But uh, those are the kind of the two guys that come to my mind, although... A lot of the guys, like you said, I mean, Duke has given Georgia Tech a lot of problems the last couple of years. Uh, Miami has been one that has been just infuriating, like trying to watch Georgia Tech play against them. It's like the 
the discipline isn't there from Miami, so you'd think that Georgia Tech would take advantage of that, but they're still just so talented. That, uh, I think Paul Johnson's only beaten them two or three times in the last seven or eight years. So, um, yeah, lots of uh, lots of talent to be seen on the, on the field on Saturdays. So uh, that's kind of a, a never-ending thing. So the, the, the next question I have for you, Mike, is... I want to know what is your like deepest, darkest, like ACC-related secret. Like, what's something that's like not immediately obvious about you that people might find interesting or want to know? Well, I think a lot of people that read inside the ACC.com kind of know that I had this like irritation with Syracuse basketball making the tournament. Um, so relaying this to football. Um, a lot of my friends won't find this surprising. Obviously, as a Virginia Tech fan, I despise UVA. Um, I try to cover them as fairly as possible. Um, but having an in-state rivalry like that, it's very similar to your dealings with Georgia, except you get to cover Georgia Tech exclusively, and I have to cover the entire ACC. So I have to like give Virginia love, which is really painful. Um, luckily for me, they've been terrible at football in recent years, so it's been really easy to bag on them. But now with Bronco Mendenhall, obviously, as a coach, uh, they're, they're moving up. Uh, great hire for them. Probably one of the better hires in the country, uh, if I had to pick and put it in a top three or four. Um, Mendenhall would definitely be up there as the hire for Virginia. Um, but deepest, darkest secret, once again, a lot of my friends wouldn't find this surprising. I really despise Miami. Um, it goes back to my Notre Dame fandom uh, when I was really young. Uh, Miami and Notre Dame obviously had this, you know, Catholics versus convicts. Everybody knows about the Notre Dame-Miami rivalry in the early 90s. And I've always hated Miami since then. Um, watching them play football, basketball, you name it. Um, obviously, it's a lot different now because Miami's football team is not what it once was. We're taught, you know, they're no longer the Devin Hester Miami Hurricanes where he's dancing around on kick returns and, you know, uh, running past 10 or 11 Duke defenders on the way to end zone on kick return. I mean, Miami's just not what they once were with, like, even with Larry Coker, um, you know, post-Jimmy Johnson and post-Butch Davis. Um, this is a, a different Miami era. Mark Rick's going to bring him back, so I'll be able to go back to really hating them because they're going to be good again. Um, but that's my one deep, dark secret that probably doesn't really come out that often as a writer, um, but it's really difficult for me to cover Miami just because of the history between them and Notre Dame. Um, and then, of course, I was actually in attendance, one of my best moments, uh, if we want to name another home game for for Tech, I was actually in attendance for this one. Uh, Tech beat Miami when I was a freshman back in the 2011 season, uh, the same year that David Wilson was running all over everybody. Uh, they played Miami in a 3:30 game, uh, and Ja'Cory Harris, and, and Miami was pretty good that year, um, and that was a huge win for Tech at home. Logan Thomas ran in from like 35 yards with about two and a half minutes to go, and then they played Enter Sandman, which is really notorious, Virginia Tech. They play Enter Sandman um, on fourth and long with like 35 seconds left. Miami's at like the 50-yard line, so the writing was on the wall. But, of course, with all these ACC moments, anything can happen. Um, so the stadium was probably the loudest I've ever heard it um, for that moment. And um, 
that that's one of those that's one of those memories and and one that really sticks with me because I was really I was just so thrilled that Miami lost uh, more than even maybe Virginia Tech winning the game. Uh, so that's probably my deepest darkest secret um, in regards to the ACC. You know, I, I look at the the teams that Georgia Tech plays year in and year out. So the other coastal teams and then Georgia, and of those, I, I'm actually with you, but I think Miami is like number two on my list. Uh, oh, that al- that also includes Clemson. Um, like I have more personal hostility towards Miami than any other team not named Georgia. Like that's uh that's good to know that our our podcast will be. Uh, will be very pro-hurricane. <laughs> I was going to say, you give, him, you give him credit where credit's due, and hopefully it doesn't come around too often. Um, and that's what I've been hoping with Virginia. You know, you just hope that they're not any good. problem is they're so good at basketball that when you cover them for that part of the year, it's, like, not fun at all because you know they're really good. So, so my personal ECC kind of deep, dark secret uh, kind of goes along the lines of what you were saying of uh, – a little bit of a, maybe what seems like an irrational dislike for another team, uh, but I am a I am a little bit of a secret Duke hater. Um, I am I've gotten really annoyed like watching that team play over the last couple of years, and like they've been you know they've won what is it 27 games in the last three seasons? Yeah, they're not they're not supposed they're not supposed to be good, and their offense is always like a top five offense in the conference. Makes no sense. Well, and I still, like, refuse to believe that they're any good. Like, I feel like, like, I struggle because I don't know that they win games so much as they wait for other teams to lose them. And sure enough, being college football and being the ACC, like, these teams do find ways to lose games, and there's Duke just waiting to scoop it up whenever it happens. And so it's, like, it's like infuriating for me to watch. Um, and so, I, you know, I am not a Duke fan. David Cutcliffe rubs me all the wrong ways, the things he says and he does. Um, it's kind of become like that little little brother is like a little bit of a pest, right? You know, like they show up and it's like, oh, this this will be easy. Like, you know, chalk that one up as a win. And then they like slap you around a little bit and end up winning. It's like, wait, how did this happen? That's happened two years in a row now. So it's like, that's uh, that's really starting to, uh, to get my goat a little bit. It's a new football team. And they shouldn't be any good, and they weren't good for a really long time. And they were always known as that basketball school, obviously, for Coach K and the fact that they're always in the hunt for basketball championships every year. And they're one of the many reasons. This is the Basketball Conference podcast. And you, you watch them play football, and it's like, this team should not be any good. There are like 12 people that show up to the games, and they're all family members of the players. Um, and, and for some reason, they're now winning eight and nine games a year and playing in bowl games you've actually heard of. And it's really, it's, it's frustrating to watch Duke because, like you said, it's almost like they just wait for, for teams to lose. When you play in the ACC, teams find ways to lose. It's just, it's in your nature. Like, if you're going to be a member of the conference, you have to find a way to lose at least two or three games a year to a team you're not supposed to, especially if you're not named Clemson or Florida State. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like the the SB Nation blog that covers Duke is literally called the Duke Basketball Report, and that's not like an ironic name or anything. Like they only cover basketball because up until the last couple of years, like they've never had a football team worth covering. So they had nothing. They had nothing to cover. Yeah, yeah. So you know, been very frustrating the last couple of years seeing them like represent the conference in Charlotte and things like this. Like I feel like this is you know Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech's world, and Duke's just living in it and. Now they're trying to like take over the thing, so you got to take the power back, Mike. David Cutcliffe needs to. He, well, here's the thing: David Cutcliffe just needs to go take a bigger job 
that everybody thinks he's qualified for when really he might not be qualified for it and get Duke back to the bottom of the conference. And we're just going to sit here, and, and most of this podcast, we're just going to have to see where it goes, but most of this podcast is going to be looking at teams any given week and seeing how they manage to lose games they should have won because that's the ACC every year. We just love watching these teams. Uh, we, we love watching these teams play. Where else can you see Wake Forest play BC? And it's like 3-3, three to three and both teams have combined for like 15 turnovers. And you get Boston College with that with that uh, label as being a best defense in the country, but they can't get the ball past the 30-yard line on offense. So it's like, what's the point? Um, a lot of the stuff we'll cover is just teams finding ways to lose. Um, a lot of teams do what to do. It's really frustrating. So I'm, I'm with you. Um, I'm another guy that... Duke just irritates me, and they do rub me the wrong way as well. Uh, Cutcliffe seems to get a lot of love as a good coach. I think he is. Um, if you're able to start to recruit kids out of states that are not North Carolina, that actually have some pedigree with their players, um, and you're taking them from a Virginia Tech, um, you're taking them out of schools like uh, out, out of states like South Carolina, where there's a Clemson playing, who's a best team in the country year in and year out now. Um, Anytime you're able to do that, you can recruit to your talent um, and get your team to be really one of the top teams in the ACC. It's crazy that we say that about Duke now. Uh, Cutcliffe, obviously, ser- I mean, seriously, deserves a lot of credit, but they really irritate me. As far as teams finding ways to lose, that sounds like a brilliant segment idea that we'll have to follow up on this season. The team that found the most spectacular way to lose a game. And then we'll count it up at the end of the season. And I already have a couple of candidates as to who the teams may be uh, that gets our award uh, for that. Get some power rankings going. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I guess the next question, Joey, in your opinion, uh, we kind of maybe even touched on this a little bit, depending on who your answer may be, uh, who's the best coach in the ACC right now? Man, this is like the worst segue ever because as much as I was just talking about how much I hate Duke, I kind of have to give it to David Cutcliffe. Oh, man. Which, as much as I hate the fact that Duke has won 27 games in the last three years, and as much as I don't believe in them and I am ready for the bottom to fall out at any moment, you have got to hand it to David Cutcliffe for what he has done with that program. Um, that That is nothing short of a phenomenal job. Uh, that he's done with uh, one of the one of the toughest kind of setups and circumstances across the country. Um, I think maybe the most important thing that he's done is I think he's done a little bit of what Stanford has done, just on the opposite coast, is really using like their academic brand and their and their name to go out and form a little more of a, a regional and or national recruiting base, uh, proving to kids you know hey you want to come to Duke and get this highly rated degree. The only problem they had is that they got the wrong McCaffrey brother. I mean, that's the only mistake Cutcliffe's made And what, I don't know, he's probably going on seven or eight years at Duke now? Well, as much as they're trying to be like Stanford, they're not quite Stanford yet, and actual Stanford got the right McCaffrey brother. Uh, and we've seen how that's turned out. He's potentially the Heisman favorite this year, uh, up against the ACC's own Deshaun Watson. Yep. Um, this is... This really hurts. And you know what? The thing about this is I, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think the best coach in the ACC is David Cutcliffe. It hurts. Uh, you know, I kind of went into it at length a moment ago, so I'm not going to cover that again. Um, all the reasons you just said and then what I just said a minute ago. Um, 
the thing about this question is that it might even be better served to be asked at the end of the year because this is potentially the most talent we've had coaching-wise in the ACC in quite some time. Uh, we, we touched on Bronco Mendenhall at UVA, um, David Cutcliffe obviously now at Duke, Mark Richt coming over to Miami from Georgia, um, a guy like Justin Fuente, a young up-and-coming coach from Memphis, awesome offense uh, there, um, ha- had some great offenses when he was at TCU as well, coaching Andy Dalton as an offensive coordinator, and now he's coming to Virginia Tech, the biggest job he's ever had um, as a head coach, so we're going to get to see that offense in the ACC now. Uh, Justin Fuente has definitely got to be up there as well. Um, th- there are a lot of really good coaches. Pat Narduzzi at Pittsburgh. Um, obviously, what Larry Fedora has done at North Carolina has been fantastic. Dave Doran. I know NC State struggled the last couple of years, but Dave Doran has done a really underrated job at recruiting. Uh, he gets a, he gets some really deep recruiting classes at all these positions. Um, he might be on his last leg, though, this year, so they're going to have to actually turn that recruiting into talent. But he's probably one of the better recruiters in the conference. Um, but there's a lot of coaching talent in the ACC, um, and I think it's definitely in a really good place right now. Um, and then, of course, you, you, you look at like the top two, obviously, maybe a top two or three coaches in the conference. Uh, once you get past David Cutcliffe that we haven't even mentioned yet, Dabo Swinney, of course, and then Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. So really deep conference for coaching now and this might be a question better served after we see some of these coaches actually have their teams compete in year one under their realm uh, in the ACC. Yeah, like you mentioned, kind of a major facelift has happened in the Coastal Division uh, this offseason with the hiring of Fuente and Mendenhall Ricks. Uh, that's, I mean, that's three out of seven coaches being replaced. Uh, so, like you said, I think that adds a lot of depth. And then don't forget Dino Babers up at Syracuse. Uh, which I think was maybe an underrated hire. And, and talk about rating hires. So we talk about best coach. You know, what was, in your opinion, the best hire in the ACC this offseason of those four? Yeah, yeah, it pains me. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall of Virginia, I think. Um, I, I really like Fuente at Tech, um, but we all kind of saw it coming. The thing about the Bronco Mendenhall hire is nobody saw it coming. Uh, Virginia was kind of in a bad way. You know, they fired Mike London. Everybody knew that that was going to happen. They had a really tough schedule. They couldn't turn any of their talent they were recruiting like on the field into real tangible games played. I mean, the, the team that we saw there for Virginia just wasn't ever really good. Um, they were playing a brutal schedule. The writing was on the wall there. But nobody really expected for Virginia to go out, hire outside the box, go out to the West Coast, and hire Bronco Mendenhall, a Mormon, away from a Mormon school, at BYU, um, a, a really good get for Virginia. Uh, definitely, in my opinion, one of the best hires in the ACC, but you could make an argument really for any of them. But just the fact that nobody was expecting Mendenhall to end up at Virginia and they pull a coach in that's that good, uh, that could potentially turn the program around when you look at his recruiting history at a really tough school to recruit at at BYU, um, I, I think that that's probably the best hire just because nobody really saw it coming. Yeah, you talk about it being outside the box. It, it really was, um, in, in some ways, kind of a bizarre hire almost. Like, and not necessarily a, you know a bad one, but just kind of a strange one. Um, a guy who's kind of been slotted out there for I don't even know how long, but certainly a decade or more. Um, at one of the most kind of unusual, if not the single most kind of unique job in the country at BYU, uh, bringing him into Virginia. But the thing is that I, 
I think with all of these coaches that were brought in, there was a lot of kind of praise heaped on all those hires. A lot of folks were very impressed with how the ACC did these hires. Dino Babers figures to elevate Syracuse quite a bit from what they are right now. Justin Fuente, obviously a, a very uh, trumpeted, you know, impressive hire by Virginia Tech. Obviously, then there's Mendenhall, and then there's Mark Richt at, at Miami. Uh, all those hires should elevate those programs by all means. None of those are real head scratchers. The thing is that I, I'm going to continue to stay a little skeptical of what they can do. I think especially the one that I'm most skeptical of is Miami uh, hiring Mark Richt. Yep. And, and the reason is not that, again, I said it, I think it's a good hire. I think he'll do a lot for that program and elevate it. The thing is, I... I don't know what his ceiling is at Miami. I think a lot of Miami fans see him and think, oh, he's going to take us to the promised land. You know, this is Jimmy Johnson 2.0. You know, uh, we're going to be back in that national title picture. And the thing that I point out is that somehow every year that he was at Georgia, that team found ways to lose games that they should not have. That SEC championship against Alabama is the one that really jumps out at me. Yeah, and that was an annual occurrence against various teams. Uh, there was the one time, when I think it was Will Muschamp's last team in Florida that was just a disaster, and Georgia got beat by them. And it's, it's things like that that I don't think that gets better by moving from Georgia to Miami. I think Georgia would rank higher than Miami in terms of how good of a job it is, how easy it is to recruit there things like this. And so unless Mark Richt is really changing his kind of process and what he does at Miami from what he did at Georgia, I, I just don't know that you get to those heights like, like they did, uh, like like a lot of Miami fans seem to think uh, are kind of in store. So I think that's a time will tell kind of situation. I'm with you. Um, mostly because I think the fan expectations um, have, have kind of overblown what the ceiling may be, like you said. Um, you see his teams finding ways to lose at Georgia, and you're thinking, well, he can definitely do the same thing at Miami. ACC teams know how to lose. If there's one thing we know about them, they know they always figure out a way to lose. Um, and Mark Richt could potentially fit right in into that mold. But I think I'm with you. I mean, I think it was a really good hire to go out and get a guy like Mark Richt obviously his alma mater is Miami. So going back to his, you know, going back to his alma mater, going away from a school where obviously his time was up at Georgia, um, not that he couldn't put up more eight or nine win seasons, but it had kind of grown stale in that fan base, which, you know, I think they'll end up missing Mark Rick potentially at Georgia, honestly. But um, now Rick at Miami, I mean, I think that he's going to bring the program back. I mean, I, th I do think Miami's going to be really good, but it's a different ACC conference now. Clemson and Florida State, as long as Dabo Sweeney and Jimbo Fisher are both coaching, um, they're not going to go away. I mean, they're consistently recruiting some of the top players in the country, and it's not going to be easy for Miami to dig back in and all of a sudden be a power. Um, they are in the weaker of the two divisions. Obviously, Florida State and Clemson, their annual game that they play in every year determines now who goes to the uh, conference championship from that division. And Miami, um, you know, there are going to be some good teams in the Coastal Division still, but Miami has a much clearer path because they're not playing a Florida State or a Clemson in the regular season. But once they get to that title game, it's not going to be easy for them to beat a Clemson or beat a Florida State. So I think fans might need to temper the expectations a little bit. And, you know, I'm with you. I think it'll be maybe difficult for Mark Rick to kind of fit into these huge shoes that the fans are putting before him. So next, next question. Yeah. So I wanted to move on uh, and we'll, we'll kind of 
close out the show with this discussion. So for those unaware, uh, Mike and I met on uh, a series of YouTube kind of college football ACC discussions on Mark Rogers TV. Um, something that we still kind of continue to do and pop in from time to time. Friend of the show. <laughs> we, are, we are friends of the show, absolutely. Um, and, and so one of the things that uh, we've been kind of doing gearing up for the season is doing some different position rankings. So who are you, you know, top five quarterbacks, top five running backs in the country, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of the preface for this. So this was a discussion that was had last Wednesday. Uh, I was a little busy, uh, so I was not able to attend. But uh, Mike was on there, and I, and I felt like this is something we need to hit on. Um, so I had a, a little bit of a bone to pick, but more so with uh, what the other what the other guest was talking about. But the question here is, is Mike, your top five quarterbacks in the ACC, and, and I think the way to do this is probably to start from number one and work our way backwards. Because uh, I think that the farther back we go, that's where we're going to see more and more uh, kind of discourse here. So let's start with just number one. And I'm guessing this is a fairly obvious one. Yeah, it's, it goes to the guy who threw for over 3,000 yards, managed to run for over 1,000 yards, uh, Deshaun Watson at Clemson. My opinion, the best quarterback in the country. Um, I, I don't think it's really that big of a discussion uh, as far as that position is concerned. Uh, I, I think there's more debate as to who the, maybe the best uh, player in the country is. But in my opinion, Deshaun Watson, best quarterback in the ACC, best quarterback in the country. Um, so that's number one on my list. Uh, how about you, Joey? No, I'm right there with you. The, uh, the Heisman runner-up, Watson. Um, just, and, and I'm with you that I think everyone else in the country is probably fighting for second place on who the best quarterback is. Watson seems far and away the most complete and most impressive guy from both a you know an athletic and you know what he can do with his mobility from that kind of standpoint as well as his passing um we, we we're kind of in an age where dual threat quarterbacks are the cool thing and a lot of times with that athleticism there comes a little bit of a drop off in uh, passing ability and technique and all this but man with watson as good of a runner as he is it's like he's as good if not a better passer um some of the throws that he made in the national championship game it's like that guy has got like a sniper rifle of an arm with strength and accuracy. Uh, I, I think that this year, you know, back a few years ago in the NFL, it was uh, suck for luck, and uh, the Colts won that one and got Andrew Luck out of Stanford. I think this year they're going to have a tough time rhyming with Watson, but ultimately that's that's the goal <laughs> coming up next year. So definitely Deshaun Watson is the right start. I was going to say, because you have a guy who is as good as he is, at the quarterback position in college. You don't always see it translate to the NFL. Um, and everybody is so quick to make this assumption that because Deshaun Watson is able to run for 1,000 yards, that's all he can do. And he just happens to be a good passer because he's a college quarterback and they can run and throw and college defenses can't figure it out like maybe NFL defenses can. But he's got a pro style of passing to him. Um, a pro throwing motion, a guy that, had kind of a freak knee injury a couple of years ago, but has been shown that, especially last year, that he was extremely durable. Uh, you know, you tear an ACL, it's, it's pretty easy to do. I mean, it sounds it sounds kind of dumb to say, but it is pretty easy to tear your ACL. Um, but, but where we see guys struggle maybe with injury histories is you see a guy that maybe has a weakness there in that same knee and then gets injured a couple different times. RG3 is an excellent example. Um, blew his knee out a couple times at Baylor. Obviously blew his knee out in the NFL uh, with the Redskins, and he's been struggling ever since. 
Um, people were kind of quick to judge, and this is myself included. When I saw Deshaun Watson tear his ACL when he was a freshman, he was putting up pretty good numbers there, his few games that he participated in. And then to see him tear his ACL, um, it made me a little bit skeptical as to whether or not he was going to be able to stay healthy for a full season last year. And he showed not only that he could do that, but he could be as good and even better than he was as a freshman. So Deshaun Watson definitely is on my list. He's a pro prospect, probably going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft, um, especially when you look at teams there. Um, at the top of the draft, year in and year out, that always need quarterbacks. That's always a need, year in and year out. And I think Deshaun Watson is a guy that will definitely be on top of everybody's list. I'd be shocked if he wasn't. All right, number two. Uh, for number two, I've got Miami's Brad Hyatt. Uh, I think if you, you know, aside from Deshaun Watson, you, know, you look like just a prototypical big arm, pocket passer, not super mobile, kind of traditional pro-style quarterback. Uh, Brad Kaya is probably far and away the best thing the ACC has there. Um, big cannon arm is going to be a, a big asset kind of running the, the passing side of Mark Rick's offense. Uh, he's a little bit of a prodigy. He's started the last two years. He can go back to his true freshman year. Um, he's had some, some bumps along the way, but a guy who uh, a lot of people are talking about how well he pairs up with Mark Rick and that offense, what they're going to do. I, I agree. I think Brad Kaya is, is my number two quarterback in the entire conference. Yeah, and I think he might not only be the number two quarterback in the conference. I mean, he is for me as well. But um, he might be the number two quarterback prospect in the country, honestly, um, for, for as far as professional prospects are concerned. Um, if it weren't for Deshaun Watson, the crazy year he had last year, and uh, what everybody's anticipating that he'll do this year. We'd all be talking about Brad Kaya um, as maybe the top pick in the NFL draft, but he's a quarterback that's definitely destined for for the first round next year, unless he has a really down year. Um, the one thing that obviously worries you about Brad Kaya is the fact that this offensive line at Miami has been so bad. Um, he's been beaten up quite a bit. He's got an excellent arm. Um, he can make all the throws. He's shown that he's pretty durable despite having literally no line help. Um, you're seeing him just get battered and bruised every game. Uh, but a really easy guy to root for at the quarterback position, um, you know, because Miami has really struggled, but Brad Kaya is a guy you can come away really impressed with. So I agree with you. Um, Kaya is my number two quarterback in the ACC. All the intangibles, all the, uh, the general physical gifts you look for from that NFL prospect. Um, and, and I'm trying to rack my brain to think of any other real pro candidates that would be like that number two prospect, but to find out that it would be Brad Kaya would not shock me at all. No, and, and you know, he's not necessarily a running threat at all. I mean, he's definitely just a prototypical pocket passer, and I think that's what a lot of fans, they look at and they're like, oh, well, this quarterback can run too. He's flashier. I mean, there's no doubt Deshaun Watson's the flashier quarterback, but if you want your prototypical pocket passing quarterback, Brad Kaya is definitely a candidate you want to look at. Uh, if, if your pro team happens to be one of the worst teams in the NFL next season and uh, needs a guy at the quarterback position, I think Brad Kaya would be an excellent fit. So uh, number three on the list, for me, this is all based on potential. Um, the number three quarterback in the ACC for me is a guy who may potentially not even win the starting quarterback job, and that's DeAndre Francois. He's a redshirt freshman for Florida State. Uh, all the talent in the world big-time recruit out of high school. I mean, he's got all these accolades, um, big-time quarterback. 
uh, a guy that really, if he comes in, secures a starting quarterback job, I think Florida State's going to be in contention all year um, going into that matchup that they have with Clemson later in the season. Um, I, I think Florida State has all the talent in the world on offense. Obviously, you start with Dalvin Cook and look at everybody else, but I think DeAndre Francois has a chance to maybe make some Heisman noise uh, if he wins the starting quarterback job. And Sean McGuire for Florida State, we've seen him play over the last few years. Of course, um, the one notable um, appearance was against Clemson when um, when Jameis Winston got hurt, or excuse me, when Jameis Winston was suspended a couple of years ago, and they had to throw in Sean McGuire. Florida State ends up winning that game. Uh, you know, Sean McGuire's a guy, he's not flashy, um, and, but he hasn't really secured the starting quarterback job either anytime he's been in there. Um, he's been just good enough, but he's always leaving you wanting more uh, from the position, and I think that because of that, I think Francois, as a redshirt freshman, has not taken a snap yet in college. I think he could not only win the starting quarterback job, but be one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC next season. So I have him at number three on my list just based on all the potential, everything I've read, everything I've seen on film. His high school film is just ridiculous. The coaching staff raves about him. I think he has a great chance to win the starting quarterback job uh, for Florida State and maybe uh, lead them to an ACC championship or at least a chance uh, against Clemson in the regular season. So really highly rated recruit with great film, has not yet taken a college snap and potential Heisman night. Does that bring any bells for the stage for you? It sounds a lot like James Winston to me. <laughs> yep. We saw what happened there. Culminated with a national championship and a Heisman trophy. Yeah, so it wouldn't be unprecedented by any means for, uh, for DeAndre Francois to do that. Uh, for me, number three, I'm going to go with somebody who's a little more proven and, a, and an emphasis on a little part of that. He's not 100% proven, a lot still to prove. Um, but a ton of upside and, and a guy who uh, really kind of lit the world on fire late last year, and that would be Louisville's Lamar Jackson. Um, a guy who is insanely physically talented, not not the greatest top-end speed, but just insanely agile, can run around people, um, a, a cannon of an arm. And Mike, you'll like this, the, the comparisons that I've heard and that I kind of heard early on, I thought that was ridiculous, but then the more that you watch him, the more it kind of makes sense, is Michael Vick. Yep. He looks a lot like Michael Vick running around out there, a cannon of an arm, not particularly accurate, but can elude pressure, can dodge tacklers, uh, is a, just a, a menace to try to defend against. Um, so Lamar Jackson is a guy that uh, he's got a lot of polishing to do. Uh, he's got a ton of potential in the next couple of years before he would even be draft eligible to where I think he could be a, a very highly rated you know, quarterback recruit by the time he comes out. But uh, the way that Bobby Petrino has kind of reshaped that offense uh, to fit him, to fit his game, has really been something uh, of, of wonder to kind of watch. I know Ian Boyd from SB Nation kind of did some X's and O's breakdowns uh, a month or two ago showing what Louisville has done instituting the pistol uh, and some of the concepts that they're using that is really utilizing Jackson's skill set to the very best of its ability uh, I, I think that last year a lot of the Cardinals' struggles were in trying to figure out what they wanted to do with the quarterback position. I think they started at least three different quarterbacks throughout the course of the year, uh, and not due to injury so much as they just had no idea who they wanted to play. Uh, it looks like Lamar Jackson has really locked that role down going into 2016, so with some, with some consistency at that position uh, and the level of talent that he brings and maybe some 
some agreement from the coaches on what they want to do offensively. I think that this sets up to be a really good year for Jackson. Uh, and, and I think, you know, you might see him sneak up into that number two position in the ACC as far as quarterbacks go. So just, just to recap where we're at, uh, Mike and I both had Deshaun Watson number one, both had Brad Kaya number two. Mike, you had DeAndre Francois Florida State at number three. I had Lamar Jackson at number three. Who is your number four quarterback in the ACC? This is going to surprise some people. Um, I, I love Lamar Jackson. I, I really do. Um, but this is going to surprise some people. It's going to make you really happy, Joey. Because even though Georgia Tech may have had one of their worst seasons in recent memory last year, they still have a quarterback who I believe, despite the fact that he might not be the greatest pass, I think his athleticism is every bit as good as Lamar Jackson's in a different way. Um, I, Justin Thomas of Georgia Tech is number four on my list. And a lot of the reason why is because you look at Georgia Tech's offense, obviously had their fair share of struggles last year. But Justin Thomas has a lot of upside. Um, he, he's a guy that has played well in the past, maybe struggled a bit last year, but a guy who really gets Georgia Tech in formation, gets them into the right plays more often than not. They have another year of experience with that offensive line that struggled at times last year. I really like Justin Thomas. I'm high on him. I think he makes all the right decisions in the national attack for Paul Johnson. I, I think in the option offense is one of the most in college football. I think Justin Thomas does a very good job of it when he's playing at his best, and I think he's primed for a bounce-back year. Um, I, I think Georgia Tech is going to be much better than they were last year. I do think a bounce-back is imminent, not that far removed from when they were very, very good, right at the top of the ACC and the Coastal Division especially. And I think Justin Thomas is going to be a big reason why. I'm probably higher on him than most, but I really like what he does for that Georgia Tech offense, and I think he's primed for a bounce-back year. So Justin Thomas is number four on my list, even though uh, Georgia Tech had a down year last year. Yeah, and I think we're, we're back in sync here. Uh, Justin Thomas, number four on my list as well. Um, you know, you talk about how much he struggled last year, and people love to point out, oh, he had like a 41 42% completion percentage, and he had a terrible year. Um, and, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Thomas played his best football, you know, the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Um, I think his play did very much degrade from the beginning of the season to the end. Uh, he started making poor decisions. He started trying to force the ball, tried to you know, do too much by himself. And, and so that, that definitely kind of uh, contributed to a degrade in his quality of play. But the reason that that was all happening was the, the number of injuries and just the level of inexperience around him. Um, he was getting no help. Um, and especially if you look at that low completion percentage, I, I meant to do a little bit of a project this offseason that would have been uh, really miserable to spend the time to go do, but I wanted to go back, and, and Justin Thomas had 180 uh, passing attempts last season. I wanted to find out how many of those were balls that he threw away, because it was like more often than not, he couldn't get to the top of his drop on a passing play before he had to run away because he had no protection. He, he was getting chased. And he wasn't getting chased by, you know, six- and seven-man rushes. He was getting chased by a four-man rush. Like, his offensive line was doing nothing to help him. Um, and so those are kind of circumstances that, you know, I realize the numbers look really bad, but give it a little bit of context, and it's like, I don't know what anybody could have done with that. Um, and really what he was doing might have almost been a little bit impressive. 
Um, so that, that's, you know, I, I want to, I, I don't think that 2014 is necessarily 100% indicative of what he can do by himself. I don't think 2015 is necessarily 100% indicative of what he brings to the team. I think it's really somewhere in between, and uh, given the right talent around him, uh, I, I think that he is a, a magnificent talent. He's got incredible speed uh, and agility, very much a, a very tough to, to catch and tackle kind of quarterback, which is a huge deal in that option offense. Um, cool under pressure. He's a very, you know, even keeled kind of guy, so big game, big situations, you know, they don't bother him at all. Um, and so that's something that I expect to see Justin Thomas return to form in 2016. I think he's got some, you know, a lot of injured players returning around him. He's got a lot of uh, freshmen who are now sophomores and uh, first-timers who are now second-timers, things like this, to where uh, I think we're going to see a better season from him in, 20, in 2016. I, I mean, I agree um, 100% with that. I mean, it's it's hard not to argue that Justin Thomas is primed for a bounce-back year. I mean, I think if, if he has a bounce-back year, I think Georgia Tech will be much better. But, of course, if he struggles uh, like he did at times last year, I think Georgia Tech will have a rough time once again. Uh, quarterback's key to that option offense, and if he makes the right decisions, I think he'll be one of the top five quarterbacks in the conference. Uh, so, Joey, well, let's actually bounce it right back to you for number five. Um who is the final player in your top five for quarterbacks in the ACC? So this is a guy that was not a starter last year, um, is not a particularly well-known kind of household name, uh, but it is Mitch Trubisky at North Carolina. Uh, he'll be replacing the departed Marquise Williams. Uh, Trubisky is a guy who is going to be a junior this year. He's played each of the last couple of years, in, you know, kind of in limited capacities. His uh, his most extensive action last year came against Delaware FCS team where he completed like 85% of his passes for 300 plus yards. But um, a, a guy who I think is a little bit of a sleeper maybe, um, a guy that a lot of people don't know his name, but they will by the end of the year. Um, very, very talented, a, a dual threat guy that will you know kind of replace Marquise Williams very well, I think. Um, the only element of the game that I wonder if he can still bring is kind of that power rushing element where Marquise Williams is a big dude at like 6'5", 6'6", something like 230, 240. Uh, Trubisky's a little smaller, but still very talented, good arm, um, poses a lot of problems for opposing defenses. So uh, again, I, I, I tend to go for guys that have shown me something, um, but I, I want to bring up, too, that if I had to pick an honorable mention here for this top five list, it would probably be DeAndre Francois, who I think has every bit of potential to work his way into this list uh, and even comfortably into this list by the end of the year. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's pretty funny that we mentioned honorable mentions because Mitch Trubisky is that for me because number five on my list is a guy that you talked extensively about and a guy who I'm also really high on. Um, as a quarterback, or maybe maybe I even overrate DeAndre Francois because he hasn't done anything yet and putting him at number three. But number five on my list, rounding it out, is Lamar Jackson at Louisville. Um, obviously, just complete a little bit over 50% of his passes last year. But he's a guy who really, in the running game, can influence the game at the quarterback position maybe more than anybody in the conference. Uh, you know, we talked extensively about Deshaun Watson, his ability run, running the football, but he's a pass-first quarterback. And a lot of people don't really understand that. If they don't watch Clemson and just look at the stats, they're like, oh, you know, he run for 1,000 yards and 
He's a college quarterback that can run. Lamar Jackson has been a run-first quarterback, and he's really the only guy in the conference other than uh, Justin Thomas, obviously, with the option attack at Georgia Tech, that's a run-first quarterback with that crazy athleticism that he has. Um, one of the most athletic players in the country, I think. Uh, when you see him get outside of the pocket, especially, he does have a little bit of Michael Vick in him. And, and originally, I was like you. I heard that comparison. And I'm not sure we'll ever see a college player, a college athlete like Michael Vick ever again. But if you want to get a comp um, on a player maybe today that has a little bit of, of speed and agility and the ability to make people miss um, deep in their runs too, like I'm not talking about just like around the pocket making making defensive ends miss. I'm talking like making linebackers corners, safeties miss. Um, Lamar Jackson is the closest thing that we've seen to that, at least in the ACC in quite some time. Really high on him as a runner. I think his passing needs to continue to improve. But I think if, if it does – he'll even be higher on this list. Um, it, it's actually pretty funny because when you think of the ACC outside Deshaun Watson, you don't think of, a, and Brad Kaya, you don't think of a, a of a conference with a lot of quarterbacks that really have a lot behind them to offer. But, uh, you know, it ends up being a pretty deep, uh, potentially pretty deep conference for quarterbacks. And with Deshaun Watson, with Kaya, the potential of Francois and Trubisky, Justin Thomas gives you a little bit something different with the option, and then all the potential that Mark Jackson has if he figures out how to pass the ball a little bit better. He has a huge cannon, but if he improves the accuracy, he'll be right atop of this list as well, especially a couple of years from now with Deshaun Watson leaving, um, assuming he leaves if he has another great year, Brad Kaya as well. Um, there are a lot of really good quarterbacks in the ACC that we don't always think about, but Mitch Trubisky would be my honorable mention, number five on my list is Lamar Jackson. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that, that I feel like it wasn't too long ago where the ACC had almost a little bit of like a, a hodgepodge of whoever they could find to play quarterback, you know. There wasn't a whole lot of really dangerous guys in the league. Um, but at this point, you know, we, we just called out six different guys who I think it's, it's kind of like the sky's the limit for every single one of them. Um, they've all got all sorts of potential and talent. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting to kind of see what they do. I, I, in particular, am curious to kind of revisit these rankings when we get to uh, the end of the season to see which one of us has, like, egg on our face over, you know, what we thought of any or all of these guys uh, in true ACC fashion. Um, but I guess to kind of to recap, so I had Deshaun Watson, number one, Brad Kaya, number two, Lamar Jackson, number three, Justin Thomas, number four, Mitch Trubisky, number five, and DeAndre Francois, honorable mention. You had Deshaun Watson, Brad Kaya, and then... Uh, Francois, number three, Justin Thomas, number four, uh, Lamar Jackson, number five, and Trubisky was your honorable Yeah, that, that's the top five, and I think there are any number of guys who can come out of nowhere uh, this year in the ACC. We might get some quarterbacks. Jalen McClendon is a great candidate at NC State as well. Um, whoever Syracuse decides playing quarterback in that wide-open offense. Um, Jared Evans at Virginia Tech, another guy who could break out potentially. Matt Johns at Virginia, we know the potential he has. Can he maybe turn into something a little bit better under under Coach Bronco Mendenhall? Um, so there are a number of guys that can fit in there that probably I'm not even mentioning right now um, that could potentially be a top-five quarterback in the ACC come the end of the season. Sets up to be a sneaky good list of quarterbacks in the, in the conference. Um, all right, Mike, we're up against it. It's been over an hour. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been a good episode one of the basketball conference podcast uh we will be back next week uh we will start 
previewing individual teams. We're going to try to start uh, doing about three teams a week going into the season uh, before we start actually previewing games and uh, really getting into it. Um, like I said, we're going to try to get some guests on here. We haven't asked anybody yet, so uh, if you're listening to this and then we ask you, you know, be nice, but or not, you know, your thing, whatever. Um, but in the meantime, if you guys, you know, listen to the podcast, want to give us a shout out, uh, you can reach uh, myself and Mike on Twitter. Uh, my, I am at FTRS Joey. Uh, Mike is at Mike McDaniel ACC. The podcast itself has a kind of a joint Twitter handle. It's just at BC Podcast ACC. Um, you'd be surprised at how many Twitter handles were already taken. You can also send us an email if you want to at basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. And just to, just to piggyback off Joey right before we finish, um, any, any suggestions, um, any comments, any questions, uh, fire us a tweet. Um, you know, follow us on Twitter. Send us a direct message. We'll be kind. We'll, we'll follow back. Um, and, and send us your emails, your questions, and uh, basically any suggestions on maybe what you want us to talk about or where we see this podcast going because we're pretty wide open uh, as far as suggestions go. Um, and I, I know I speak for Joey in sharing that sentiment. And like, and like Mike said, you know, if you've got questions for us now, that could be anything podcast related. It could, you know, how often are we going to release these, you know, or what kind of guests are we going to bring on, or it could be getting to know us things, you know, things about our schools that we went to. It could be what's our preference in, you know, taco meat. It could be anything. Like, whatever you have questions about, bring it on. You know, we're we here to talk to you guys and hopefully entertain you guys uh, through the course of the season. So, Mike, uh, it's been fun. We'll talk to you again next week. Until then, go ACC.